Live. Welcome to another happy hour edition of Elevate Your Grind brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, for a lovely evening edition here. Um, we've got a great show for you today. I've got a guest who has been in the cannabis industry since its inception, but first a little housekeeping. Um, great week of episodes. Today's guest is going to be absolutely amazing, and we'll get into that in just a second. Tomorrow, join us. We're going to do another happy hour edition of Elevate Your Grind. We have the Pot Brothers at Law, Mark and Craig Wasserman, the uh, Shut the F Up Friday guys, and we can't curse that much on this show because we are a family show, I suppose. But we're going to have Mark and Craig here. Should be an awesome show. Hopefully lives up to the one that we're about to do today. On Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, join us for our investment panel. We've got some monsters in the industry on our panel. We've got Mac Hawk, sorry, Matt Hawkins from Entourage Effect Capital, Matt Nordgren from Arcadian Fund, George Mancherell from Bespoke Financial, and uh, Emily Paxia from Poseidon Partners, and that will be moderated by our very own John Robbins of Ackerman, who's on our Broward County Board. That is something to look forward to. If you want to register for that event, go to joincelab.com. That is joincelab.com. You can put that you're my guest, and we'll let you into that meeting for free. Um, next Thursday, today's guest is going to be on that panel. That will be our branding panel. That, again, will be at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern on Thursday the 18th. And then we've got a couple uh, a couple good deeds coming up. We have a joint event with Florida for Care coming up on July 5th. We're going to be doing a beach cleanup. More information on that. And then finally, on Saturday, July 18th, something very near and dear to my heart. Um, a good friend of mine runs a gym focused on special needs children. They're struggling a little bit during the pandemic, and we're going to go ahead and help them try to raise some money. So come out, meet the members. We're going to have a lot of our cannabis community there educating people on how you can leverage cannabis in the special needs community and really just in your own life. That's going to be on Saturday, July 18th. A lot more information on that to come. So without further ado... I could probably sit here and fill up the entire first hour. Sorry, this is our high-tech teleprompter. I could probably fill out the entire hour with just the accolades that my guest today has achieved. Um, it's easier for me to tell you what magazines he hasn't been published in versus the ones that he has because we don't have that kind of time. But if you pick up a cannabis industry publication or anything, even mainstream marketing publication, you've heard this name, you've seen this face, please welcome the founder and CEO of Wick and Mortar, Jared Mursky. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for, for slumming it with us here at Elevate Your Grind. <laughs> um, dude, you're all over the industry. You, I would call you a star in the cannabis space right now. I really appreciate that, but I don't really see myself as a star. I just kind of see myself as somebody who wants to change the way people look at the cannabis industry from the inside out and perhaps from the outside in. You know, the Great. perception of cannabis is needed a facelift for a very long time. Yeah. And the content you put out is awesome because it's both educational and entertaining. I've really enjoyed a lot of your Instagram lot. I'm not sorry. You're the Instagram videos that you're putting up on IGTV and everything else like that. But there's one I'm going to call out specifically. So there's one I'm very jealous of you on. So we're kind of in the same circles. We have a few friends in common, but you and I actually haven't met in person yet. I don't believe. Um, I know that you were at the C-Lab conference last year. I wasn't that involved yet, but we have a mutual friend in Ricky Williams. Now, hmm. about a week after I was up at his Iowa house, I saw a video You've of been you. there? I have. <laughs> it is awesome. So I fun. walked in and I saw the two plants that were flanking the front door 
And the whole time I'm sitting there, now I'm starstruck staying at Ricky Williams' house. I, I was a huge fan growing up, like first celebrity interaction. I'm like, I'm not going to touch those plants. Those are Ricky's plants. I'm not even going to ask about it, but I would love to pick something off and smoke it. Fast forward a week, I see you at the Idlewild house, literally making a video, picking <laughs> a bud off the plant and smoking it. <laughs> you know who filmed that too? Desiree. That? Did she really? Yeah. Yep. She filmed that for me. Yeah. Yeah, we were all yeah. down there. Me, uh, me, Derek uh, Muller, our creative director, uh, Linnea, and Desiree, and, and and Ricky. Yeah, it was a it was a good time. We're filming a documentary. Dude, I, no, and and I'm, I'm, did did you guys release that one yet? Or I know it's still in the works. Still in the works. Yeah, we have a trailer for it, but it's hidden. It's private for for only special guests. So I'll send it send it your way. Awesome. I appreciate that, man. I literally, I'm sitting there. I'm like, there it is. Jared Mursky just picking the butt off, smoking it right there. Could have done it. Was, was too timid to ask, but I was extremely jealous of that. Um, <laughs> that was awesome, dude. Like I said, your content is awesome. So I want to fast forward or fast forward, rewind back to the beginning, right? You've been in this industry for what, uh, coming on 11 years now? Yeah. Yep. So it's, they're uh, not- since 2008, 2009. So, you know, the, the industry was, was starting to really get legalized around 2010. How did you have kind of the knowledge that once Colorado came online, once California came online, that the rest of the country was going to start to fall like dominoes and this was really going to be something that you could do not just locally but nationally? Was that the original intention or was it just like this cannabis thing is going to be something I'm going to try to get involved? It was like the rule of threes, you know, you had like Denver, California, and Washington, uh, you know, all in this medicinal illicit state, so to speak. And um, I think it became quite evident at that point that there was uh, an industry to become, uh, and, and, you know, there was something there that I recognized as, you know, what would become, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, there's no question, uh, you know, cannabis still has a negative stigma. Uh, in certain states, but I think more and more, as we've seen today, it's becoming extremely widely accepted. Uh, you know, even by friends who used to criticize me, or even I'm sure you for being a cannabis consumer yourself. People are like, oh, you know what? Maybe it's it's not so bad. Hell, I even remember a time where I was trying to steal some change from my dad's side drawer to go get a candy bar at the store, and I found a bag of weed, and I was yeah. so upset. I was so mad at him. I was like, how can you smoke? I dumped it in the garbage can. He was pissed. He was like going through the garbage can when he got home and trying to get it all out. And, um, <laughs> now I wish I would have smoked it, but, uh, does he bring that up at all? Like, Hey man, remember when you threw my bag away? Yeah, he does from time to time. Um, uh, I still have this very, I saw this article clipping of me in, in, uh, the news from when I was in, I think seventh grade, uh, standing up against like, uh, against cannabis and against drugs for like the dare program um, when I was younger. It's hilarious. And now here I am branding the stuff. So, you know, when I started in the industry though, you know, it was still very much black market, you know, uh, if you will. I, I remember getting paid in weed and cash. So when I got, um, when I got started, you know, I called my company uh, Online Marijuana Design. Not a very creative name, but it worked well, much like that of Dollar Shave Club. Uh, yeah. the intention behind it was really simple. It was, you know, look, there aren't any businesses in the cannabis industry, 
that have this kind of ancillary intent other than like high times or hydroponic shops. So this was really our opportunity to create um, a, a service-based business that supports cannabis businesses alike because, again, at the time, there was only retailers or rather dispensaries. Cultivators, you know, they didn't want to be known or found. So it was, you know, not until about three, three years later or four years later that we started actually working with cultivators. Um, and what really made that interesting is just the complete dynamic shift between now the type of marketing you could do with dispensaries versus the type of marketing you could do with cultivators. And then more and more shit just started happening. Oh, I'm not allowed to swear. This is a family-friendly show. Sorry, my bad. We could go shit. We're just not going to drop the F-bomb yet. Eventually, we're, we're hoping to monetize these on YouTube, but we always have Evan to clear out our bad language. Noted. Okay, so <laughs> that, that said, um, you know, uh, it also ranked really well in search engines. You know, when you looked for a business with a name like that, you know, search query, uh, you know, optimized domain names were like, perfect. Uh, now it's yeah. irrelevant, right? Um, uh, not nearly as relevant, but, uh, that said, you know, we morphed into, you know, wick and mortar as the industry started to mature. Uh, we recognized that, you know, we were hitting a bit of a plateau ourselves and that was that, you know, online marijuana designer, even OMD agency, which is what we called ourselves a few years later, it just still didn't feel like a legacy brand, like something that, uh, would stand the test of time. So, you know, we did what we told most of our clients to do, and that's rebrand, right? Most of the clients we had at the time, and still to this day, we get, you know, have a pot leaf in their logo or some sort of element of that uh, green in their identity or, um, yeah. you know, some sort of name that alludes to the obvious can of this or weed that or, you know. So we wanted to really help drive more awareness towards uh, differentiation with respect to the brands being developed in the industry. And so, we developed an entire content series actually rebranding our agency to walk them through what we did and how we did it and why we did it. Um, online marijuana design doesn't get any more literal than that, right? So yeah, I think at the end of the day, we just needed something new and fresh. And I think by documenting it, it also showed others in the industry what is what you're capable of doing. I think that's a great story because it kind of follows the story of the industry, right? It, it was very utilitarian, that first name that you had. It really paid off for you because you you named your company what people would probably be searching for, right? So that takes care of your SEO, keeps your costs down, things like that. Um, I agree with you with the wick and mortar thing, right? I, I don't do what you do, but I've been forced to just working for different startups and everything else. And when for me, and I'd really like, be interested in getting into your creative process because some of your some of the stuff you've done is absolutely incredible, um, even that. winning mainstream awards. But I look at a, a, your original name, even the the OMD uh, abbreviation that you did. Think about putting that on a polo or a hat or a t shirt or you know any kind of swag that you're going to give out at a conference or anywhere else, it's very business-like, right? It doesn't translate to cool. It's, a, it's not a hat that people are probably going to wear unless they're a client of yours and their proud partner. You know, when you make the switch to Wick and Mortar, the W logo that you guys have is awesome. The little animation on the end of the W mm -hmm. I think is incredible. And, you know, I think a lot more people would, would happily rock Wick and Mortar gear than OMD, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing a Wick and Mortar hat right now. 
that, and I always, I always see you in some kind of hat with an upside down trident too. Is that just for Mursky or does that have any deeper symbolism? Oh, that's just the Mariners. Ah, yeah. That's a legacy Mariners hat. That's right. You grew up in Washington, right? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. I I live right in front of uh, CenturyLink field. So if I was to turn my computer around, you could look into Seahawks stadium. Very cool, man. Um, did you, did you start your business in, in Washington or did you try to get going in California first? Uh, I started in here in Seattle, uh, which is where I still live. Um, but, uh, as you may, ima- as you, as you could possibly imagine, you know, the Pacific Northwest has been known for some time as, uh, kind of the leaders, uh, in cannabis, given the fact that we've been in this space much longer than really anyone else from a, uh, traditional perspective, meaning, you know, retail environment. Right. Um, but I mean, it's been real easy for us because we've been in Seattle and Washington focused no different than agencies in New York with a high, uh, you know, focus on fashion brands and things of that nature. You know, ours is really the cannabis sector. So we're, uh, you know, really seen as the global agency. I mean, we have clients in and have had clients in pretty much every medical and recreational state as well as country. So our reach is deep. <laughs> yeah, you got you guys are national, and you're definitely one of the top names in that space. Some of the work that you guys have done with with companies like Dosis and and everything else, um, you know, I actually when I was doing my my diligence on you, there was a logo that I saw that I literally just opened up the website and bought a shirt because I thought it was cool. Um, the logo that you did for Rebel Spirit. Oh, cool. And just to be clear, we didn't do any work with Dosis. That was anomaly. Sorry. That's no, okay. Maybe you meant like candescent? Uh, yep. I, I, I read, no, I, you had commented in an article on Dosis for some reason. I thought they were a client of yours, but yeah, candescent. Yeah, I just like Dosis. I, I like to give credit where credit's owed. You know, even if it's not a brand we built, I think that there's a lot of amazing brands out there. But I appreciate the compliment nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, you guys actually won a global marketing award. If if I remember, is for packaging, right? The pla- yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the global packaging awards. Yeah, we uh, won the very first cannabis uh, cannabis packaging award that they've ever they've ever offered. There's never been a cannabis brand um, to win an award nor submit really because they've never made it a, an opportunity. And this is like. I think they've been around for over 70 years. And so this is pretty cool. Uh, given we were competing against companies like Procter and Gamble, Unilever, L'Oreal, you know, Johnson and Johnson. Uh, so it was a, it was a big win for us and certainly a big win for our client Narvona. I, I mean, I think that's, I think that's absolutely a, a huge win for the industry as a whole, right? I mean, granted you were the one who was given the award, but like you said, you, you were in competition with these massive conglomerates of companies that probably win them perennially. And here you are, uh, I wouldn't call you a startup firm in the cannabis space, but as far as, as legacy marketing firms go, you know, 11 years is still pretty young and you mm-hmm. come out of nowhere in a nascent industry and win an award. I mean, dude, that, that, that's absolutely incredible. And I would, I would think that everybody in our industry should support that because it, it, it is a win for our industry that, that you guys were able to achieve that. And congratulations. Um, I mean, what has it been like? You're featured in, in almost every publication. You're top 40 under 40. You know, is it kind of surreal for you that, you know, going back to the kid in the dare shirt and getting rid of your dad's bag to all of a sudden you are a, a leader in this space and being recognized for it? It, it is. It's. 
it's so weird that you you mentioned this because I'm I still feel like the same person, right? Nothing about me changed. Nothing about me has changed, other than I'd say I just know a lot more, and um, I I feel very thankful that I've been put on this platform and pedestal, if you will, to be this thought leader in the space. My intention was really just to make sure that I was adding value. A good friend of mine, uh, longtime friend, and still a mentor, you know, he said, um, so what he said to me, he said, you know, Jared, adding value to people's lives without expecting anything return um, will be the thing that defines you, you know, now and in the future. And, you know, when you, when you die, you know, what do you want to be remembered by? Right. And that really resonated with me because, you know, for the longest time, especially growing up, I was a bit of a dipwad. I made a lot of poor choices. Went to jail for stupid <laughs> shit, you know, selling weed, just dumb shit, you know, uh, driving on a suspended yeah. license, things you do when you're a young kid. And uh, I didn't want to continue that path. And ultimately, when I found cannabis and obviously my passion is being a creative, that really, not, not to kind of de- derail, but that was really like the driving force that made me feel like I, I wanted to, to be something uh, in, in an area, in an in the industry, uh, you know, where it was still new. It felt like this was my time to shine. And I still feel like for everyone out there who's watching this, who's wondering, well, shoot, you know, are there too many thought leaders in this industry now that it's been around for so long? No, this industry is still very much in its infancy stage. And so there's still a large opportunity for you to develop a voice and a platform no different than I have. There are so many new technologies and advances, you know, uh, you know, emerging every day. So um, there's no question that, you know, you can be, uh, you know, a thought leader in this space as well. Um, you just have to focus on a niche. And although cannabis was a niche, my deeper niche was the marketing and branding sector and really making sure that that was my core focus. So um, yeah, I mean, thank you. Uh, and thank you all for watching. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit better, a little bit more, because I don't want to say there's a trend of people that kind of had that path where, you know, you don't know what you want to do. You do a lot of stupid stuff. And then all of a sudden the light clicks. It's like, hey, I've got to change what I'm doing. And you're able to go from being a quote unquote fuck up to a dedicated entrepreneur that that's hustling harder than anybody else. You know, I, I think it's weird for not weird, but creatives don't always have the best path into business, right? And especially if you're a creative whose parents are not creatives. Um, you know, I, I, again, doing my research, I saw that your dad owned a bunch of Gold's gyms. Um, mm-hmm. He seemed like, he seems like you come from a family of entrepreneurs. Were you artistic as a kid? Did you, did you do a lot of art? Were you very creative and, and creating different projects and everything? And were you supported doing that? Because I can tell you personally, like, my dad, pure business, very smart man, everything else. He didn't understand the creative part. And, you know, it was hard for him to give me that advice. His advice was really just to pursue the business side. And I could never figure out how to mesh creative and business. You seem to, and, you know, obviously we're seeing Jared 11 years after he started Wick and Mortar, but you seem to have been able to figure out that path that I am a creative and I could figure a very lucrative way to make money off of my creativity without just having to be a pure artist where you're just selling what you created. You can actually implement things for people and execute on it. 
Well, I've always been fascinated in the bigger picture. You know, I think one of the problems that most business owners face when looking for creatives is, you know, um, oh, I can hire a designer to build a brand for me. And what a person doesn't understand, what that person doesn't understand is designers just solve really designer problems. They're not there to solve your, uh, you know, issues in relation to lack of business intelligence, uh, brand direction, um, brand architecture, segmentation, marketing, um, strategy, all of these things, copywriting, photography, video. There are very few people that can do all of that. Um, and that's what you call a unicorn. And, um, you know, unicorns for many people don't exist, but, uh, they are there. However, um, that being said, you know, it requires a team to really make sure that, you know, every little thing is done correctly. And, uh, if you're unable to, you know, see the bigger picture, as I'm kind of mentioning, um, you know, beyond the aesthetic of a brand and, you know, how does this translate into customer loyalty and, you know, reducing your customer acquisition costs and, and all of these things, those, all of those little mechanisms fascinated me because the more I got involved in the cannabis industry as a creative, the more needs they had. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that, but I'll figure it out. I don't know how to do that, but I'll figure it out because there wasn't anybody else that they could talk to that was willing to figure it out because it was still black market or gray market. Right. So I was kind of forced to just figure it out, you know, sourcing products overseas. <laughs> that was a bitch. Oh, I'm that sure. was a pain in the ass. We can cut that out. Um, <laughs> That was a pain in the ass because, you know, they didn't want to send packaging to the U.S. because they knew it was for cannabis. And uh, we had to figure out ways to get around that. Um, And so, you know, really coming up with um, all of these different methods and strategies uh, to ensure that these brands are successful through both um, brand aesthetic, but intention, differentiation value, uh, they're differentiating value propositions. but uh, you know, even their go-to-market strategies and with the industry advancing and changing every day and each state having all of these unique, different, unique and different rules and regulations, it's very, 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 very challenging to keep up with, but it is so much fun because once you're the guy or the gal that just is the leader in that particular space, like when you're, when you're, when you, when you're at the top, uh, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to stop, you know, you just want to keep learning and learning and learning. So, um, I say, educate yourself. It's, it's the smartest thing you can do. And I, I agree with you in this industry. It is very entertaining. This is probably one of the first industries I've been in when I go to conferences that I'm not just there to network. I'll actually sit in on the sessions cause you can mm-hmm. learn a lot, right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but on that note, you talk about having to operate in, in all these different states. From a legal standpoint, they're certainly different. Is it different when you approach each state from a market marketing standpoint? So the way that you would help a company operate in California versus the state of Florida versus Missouri versus Michigan versus Massachusetts, um, you know, is it a different playbook depending on which market it is? Yeah, it's a, it's a completely different playbook, uh, especially if you're a company that's just distribution or vertically integrated or uh, I'll give you an example, um, vertical integration. You know, if you're, a, if you're a cultivator and you own a retail store, right, under the same license, uh, 
you know, most people would think, oh, well, I'm going to brand the product the same as my retail store, right? Reduce costs, yeah. keep it all under one name. Well, that's a terrible idea because if you're trying to, if you're trying to sell, sorry about that. If you are trying to sell a brand that is named the same as your dispensary to another dispensary, you're basically asking this other dispensary to promote your dispensary because it's named the same as your product, vice versa. Yep. They're not going to do that. They're not interested in, Jesus. They're not interested in, uh, they're not interested in doing that. So, um, that being said, it's extremely important to make sure that your brands are completely separate because if they're the same, again, you're going to have a very difficult time, uh, you know, selling through to other store buyers. So, you know, if you're not vertically integrated, um, like, like brands in Washington state, there's no vertical integration. Uh, you really only have one option. You either get a retail license or you get a cultivation license. And if you cultivate, you know, generally the best approach is to establish a brand architecture that covers the product lines that you can cultivate and or create, but not also under one brand name as well, but rather under multiple brand names. So your edibles shouldn't be named the same brand name as your flower. And maybe your pre-rolls should be named something different as well. Um, there's also different levels uh, you know, value-based brands versus luxury brands. Um, so really, my recommendation is segmentation and really ensuring that you're put, uh, positioning each brand to establish their own differentiating value proposition. If that makes sense. <laughs> it, it absolutely makes sense. And it seems like uh, you're in high demand with that phone that keeps it's going so off, man. I'm turning it off right now. Gosh. Should we should we do a live business call right here on the podcast? <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely <laughs> not. So so in, in that vein, how do you approach the people that you work with when when you want to create this vision, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if we get extremely general, all of your clients essentially do the same thing, right? right. They're all cannabis companies. They're either they're, they're growing premium flour, they're growing value flour, whatever it is, they're making extracts out of it, they're making edibles out of it. Yep. You know, it, it, at the end of the day, unfortunately, it is a commodity-based business, but there are plenty of phenomenal commodity-based industries. How do, you, how do you continue to tell a new story every time that you're able to create these brands and these stories and, and, and these followings for them? And you're someone who's been able to pull it off again and again, you know, I feel like you get a client, you guys pull off something amazing. And then all of a sudden it's the next client. It's like, huh, well, we had to throw everything away. We did for them. Let's start from scratch and, and do it again. What, what's that process like? So again, like if you, if you ensure that each client has a niche focus, it's a lot easier to establish a narrative. Let's look at Ricky Williams, for example, and herbal sure, wellness, sure. right? Or real wellness rather, but his mm -hmm. products nonetheless are herbal products. And, and so his, you know, their philosophy is like, they're the healers, right? That is their archetype, right? That is their, yeah, their brand, um, personality, so to speak. And the healer is, uh, has a number of different brand attributes that we could also call personality traits, so to speak. And when you look at, uh, the narrative behind a brand that starts with an archetype, a tone of voice with personality traits, much like a human, right? Um, you can start to develop a story from there. Uh, and again, looking at their differentiation with respect to their products, CBD is just an ingredient 
of their product. It is not the product, right? So they're not, they're not advertising that they're a CBD brand because all of their products don't have CBD in them. That's no. just another part of the, you know, herbal remedies that they develop. And so, um, Ricky and I actually, uh, started working on something pretty interesting. It's, uh, called Astro branding. And so what Astro branding is, is where we look at the story, uh, or the birth chart, um, through the practice of astrology. Um, we look at the birth chart of the business owner and we look at the birth chart of the business. So the business's birth chart would be during the time the articles of formation were established. And so we're not looking at horoscopes here. We're talking about the sun sign and the moon sign and the traits that those inherit. And so when you look at Red Bull as an example, the CEO's birth chart has him on Taurus. Um, the, the business's birth chart has, them, has him on uh, Aries. So you look at Aries, right? It's red. It's got horns. It means to go where no man's gone before. That sounds like Red Bull. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you look at uh, the birth chart of the CEO, and it's on the Taurus. Taurine is the main ingredient in Red Bull. Taurus is also bull. So, and obviously, there's there's more depth to the attributes in in relation to those um, the sun sign and the moon sign. But what's interesting uh, is that the astrology symbols, all 12, they actually are in STEM or the, the 12 astrology symbols, uh, are actually the same as the 12 archetypes that agencies alike use to define the narrative behind the brand's tone of voice. So you've got like the jester, the hero, the sage, like all of these different archetypes. So if you were to Google brand archetypes, there's 12 of them, right? Well, those are actually just layman's term versions of astrological symbols or the astrological signs. Wow. Dude, yeah. that, that, that's absolutely incredible. That's something that I don't know if I didn't have this conversation with you that I would have ever learned. And that's a really cool story to hear. Um, just for shameless plug, because I love Ricky. This is his brand here, Real Wellness. This is their, their optimized tonic. Badass. I love this thing. Helps me improve my golf game significantly. But... How, how do you guys even come across, you know, is it just, how do you even come up with the we, fact that you're going to use astrology for branding? Well, I mean, when you know that archetypes come from the astrological symbols, it's pretty obvious to define then from there based on the practice of astrology, you know, what the narrative of brand might look like, especially when you take the, the, um, duality of both the, 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 uh, the birth chart of the CEO or founder, as well as the birth chart of the business. And you can just basically, you just basically combine them. And from there you can establish a narrative because you're using, you're using traits. And again, if you've had conversations with Ricky, like I know you have, um, you know, astrology isn't just, you know, it doesn't just tell you who you are. It tells you, you know, where you're going. Yeah. Right. Um, and it tells you where you came from too, past lives, futures. I mean, all of the things that, make for great storytelling, <laughs> right? So yeah. it's an opportunity to create uh, alignment between the business and the CEO, given um, how accurate astrology uh, tends to be. So it's, um, it's pretty fascinating. And since that, most that, brand owners want there to be something about their brand that stems from them, well, that's a great way to do it without taking a story they don't have any relation to any need telling, right? Like you got a guy who's a chiropractor. He comes into the cannabis industry. He's like, 
there is nothing cool about me at all. I'm a chiropractor. I don't want this to be about me, but you know, maybe there's parts of my personality that can, uh, uh, become adopted into the brand. And so that's a great way to establish that influence. Dude, that's an incredible way of putting things. I mean, how many times have you had that conversation with business owners and what, what's their initial reaction? Because if you're someone who doesn't believe in astrology, you know, I I can imagine them looking at you and be like, yeah, whatever. But once you actually did the work and and this happened with me when, when Ricky did the reading for me, like you don't believe in it, but once they actually put in the work and you sit through the readings, a lot of the stuff makes sense. So I can imagine they have an opinion of it before you bring it up. And then after you put in the work and tell and weave that story and tell it back to them, I can imagine they're, they're pretty impressed. They are. And I think with today's day and age and just the belief system behind it, you know, more and more people are certainly curious about astrology and certainly are more aware of the fact that astrology is not bullshit horoscopes in, you know, a magazine you pick off the shelf as you're exiting the grocery store. It's, you know, uh, it's a belief system. And, um, you know, depending on what you believe in or don't believe in, I still think astrology is a great way to establish a brand narrative. I, you know what, after, after hearing the story that you just told, I I absolutely agree with that. I mean, and I think the reasoning behind having those narratives, I, 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 everything with me, I've done sales and and more so sales, but marketing for a long time, it all comes back to storytelling and to be able to leverage those type of resources to create a story. That's, that's a game changer to me. And I can see why you've been so successful. I, I don't think if I sat here and talked to any other marketing firms that we would get anything even close to what you're doing with that. Um, Dude, I mean, no, I'm seriously impressed to the point where I'm starting to lose my train of thought because I'm so, so interested in how you guys are applying this. Um, (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to switch topics here for something a little lighter, but I saw another video that again, that I'm jealous of. So I know you got to hang out with Ricky. You got to smoke his, his house plants there. But another thing that I'm super jealous of, I think, I don't know if it was you directly or you and David Tran got to do an event with broken lizard, the super troopers. Oh, that was fun. So, um, so, so James Zahodny, he's on my team now. He actually is one of the co-founders of dope magazine partners with Very Dave cool. uh, through Fairchild. Um, James and Dave, I've, they've been friends of mine for 18 years, long wow. time. And, yeah. um, I, I was actually, uh, the art director at dope magazine for a period of time when they first started, when they needed some help. And, cool. um, yeah, yeah. So I have a great relationship with them. Long story short, uh, my company, uh, was doing a lot of like their ad management and we were doing a lot of stuff together. And so, um, they invited, uh, Wick and Mortar, uh, to come to, uh, this um, kind of party that they were putting on, which was the new Super Troopers movie release for their Super Troopers 2. And so they were awesome. doing this whole tour. And so, um, you know, our friends at Dope uh, invited us to come uh, participate in this influencer event. And it was awesome. I mean, having them cook dinner for us was just, it was pretty cool. Um, I mean, I, I didn't get to see him drink maple syrup. That would have been awesome. <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I don't talk too much about my use on the show. I've gotten more into it, but you know, going back to college when, when I wasn't a regular user, super troopers to me is cannabis, right? That was the movie. First time I ever smoked. We're in college in my house, friends over, 
we planned the night. We got meatball subs from Firehouse Subs, went to the gas station, got a bunch of ice cream and stuff. And we, we smoked and watched Super Troopers. And like, just, I can't tell you how many times we repeated that night throughout college. It was just, that was our movie. (laughs) Dude, when I watched it after smoking, I heard things that I had never heard in that movie before, like little nuances. It was crazy, but I'm, I'm extremely jealous that you got to hang out with those guys. What meow? (laughs) Listen up, meow. Hi, meow. Um, Dude, are we going to look back at Dope Magazine? You were there. David was there. Is Dope Magazine going to end up being the PayPal of the cannabis industry? Are we going to talk about the Dope Mafia? Um, You know, Dope Magazine, I don't know what, I don't know what's happening there. You know, High Times acquired them. um, And, you know, since then, uh, I know Dope's been brought down to a quarterly magazine. I know during COVID, they ceased production, which makes sense to a degree, given the fact that, you know, no one's going and grabbing magazines, you know, yeah. at dispensaries right now. And, you know, however else they've been distributing them, it's just been a bit of a challenge. So, um, but the PayPal model, I, I, I hadn't heard anything about that. Um, no, no, no. I meant so, so, so PayPal, Reed Hoffman, Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, all these, these industry titans came out of PayPal from the tech industry. So when I look at Dope, you've got, you were there for a little bit. You've got David Tran. You've got a bunch of other people, you know, David's partner in Fairchild that are coming from the original Dope team. I mean, are we going to look back and, and see, you know, you guys have all kind of gone off on your own and created these new monsters that we're going to see in the industry? Yeah, you know, and I, I think the same is to be said with the guys over at uh, Headset, you know, Cy, Scott, and my, uh, my, my good friend, Brian, you know, um, I've known these guys for nine years and, you know, they, they, they founded Leafly and then, you know, left Leafly, uh, and started headset and headset. If you don't know, is one of the, uh, strongest, uh, in, in, you know, basic data intelligent companies in the cannabis industry. Um, transaction retail data is, you know, crucial nowadays. And I think most companies who, you know, aren't capturing their data need to start focusing on that without going off on a tangent. You know, it's, it's, it is great to see, you know, to me, to to me, Seattle is like Silicon Valley um, of cannabis businesses. You know, you've got, you've got headset down here. You've got Leafly down here. I mean, yeah, California is a a Mecca of, of cannabis as well, for sure. But when it comes to technology, um, you know, you've got a lot of people here that uh, are on that support system. Well, I mean, Seattle is is the epicenter of tech and cannabis together because you've got you've got the legacy cannabis industry there, and then you've got you know Microsoft and other major tech corporations right there in Seattle. You guys are, are dead set for that, and I couldn't. You know what? I really couldn't agree with you more to to continue to plug headset, and and I don't mind that. But I'm really enjoying seeing the maturity coming into the cannabis space, right? You know, for a while, big data has been a trend in traditional business. And I'm, I'm excited to see cannabis start to adopt traditional business practices like leveraging AI platforms and, and leveraging data analytics. So I think it's absolutely pertinent at this time. Um, you know, for Wick and Mortar, how what would you say the split of the type of companies that you work with are, are most of the companies that you work with plant touching, or do you have a good amount of ancillary businesses that you support as well? Um, you know, it's, it, it's varies, you know, uh, lots of companies that touch the plant. I mean, we've worked with cultivators in pretty much every medical and recreational state as well as country, um, you know, ranging from 
candescence to auroras to, you know, you name it. Um, and then, you know, obviously we've worked a lot on the ancillary side, you know, distribution side. I mean, really we've touched every area of the business. I don't think there's one, I don't think there's a, I don't think there is a type of company we haven't worked with yet. We've worked with law firms, insurance companies, you know, all have a focus on cannabis or in the cannabis industry, but uh, you know, we've worked with a lot of different people. Um, which is great because it's given us the ability to understand uh, the industry as a whole versus just one particular area like, you know, most agencies do. You know, you look at uh, like Hired Guns Creative out of Canada and they just do, you know, beer labels. That's it. Like, that's all they do. Um, as where, you know, we in the cannabis industry, you know, needed to provide, you know, far more services because there weren't any available. There weren't you know, many companies doing sourcing for unique packaging solutions other than just stock-based options. And, you know, there weren't companies really diving in and doing the due diligence to understand, you know, marketing trends, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, 10, you know, yeah. six years ago, really. I mean, so, uh, you know, the, it, I kind of got lost there for a second. <laughs> no, man, it, you, it, the, I asked you what the makeup of customers were that were plan touching versus not, but this is, this is actually where I wanted you to go. You know, what you're seeing in the industry, who you're working with and everything else. Yep. Um, I think you have a very holistic view of the industry, just given mm -hmm. what you do. Mm -hmm. And, and, so. uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's definitely interesting because, you know, I, I love, I love being the guy that people go to, to ask questions about what they should do, how they should do it, you know, cause I've been around for a long time and, you know, being seen as kind of the go-to guy for that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, you know, people do understand the value I do bring them. And, um, and I don't mind giving people free advice. You know, I, you know, I, that's just the kind of guy I am. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm a celebrity. I don't think I'm anything other than just a normal fella. Right. But if you see me at a conference, come say, what's up. I'll have a conversation with you. I'll smoke a joint with you. Um, so man, I appreciate you having me on your show. No, absolutely. And then there's just one last question that I want to finish up here with, sure. and then we can let you go. Um, what was I going to say? So when you're looking at helping your clients, right? And this is something that I'm always curious about. We have the legacy consumers, right? The people that were using it since it was in the black market, but we also want to, we're in business, right? We want to target the most amount of people. So there's mass market appeal that we need to go after. So when you're taking that approach, how do you market to the masses while not kind of segregating out our legacy consumers, right? And then really specifically, I'm interested in strain names, right? Are strain names going to disappear? Are we working towards more of a, a cause and effect type marketing or, or can we not get rid of that because of the legacy consumer? So I think, I think the answer to, I can answer that, I can answer both of your questions in the same response. So, uh, the cannabis industry for the longest, I mean, I, let me rephrase. So, uh, the traditional industry has what's called a global packaging language, which is universally, uh, defined by, you know, brand categories. So you look at coffee, you know, you've got your morning blend, your dark roast, you know, you've got all of these blends, right? You've got the same with milk, 2%, 1%, whole milk, fat free. You've got the same with, um, beer and wine. And so when you look at this, what this global packaging language, um, the cannabis industry doesn't have that. They used to, it was indica sativa and hybrid, but that was deemed null and void when people started to understand that really everything's a hybrid 
and yeah. that you know one version of Gorilla Glue could be an indica and another version could be a sativa. So you know, how accurate is strain specificity nowadays? Um, so now we move into uh, what makes the industry unique and almost impossible to establish a global packaging language for. So if everything is a hybrid, no one wants to put indica dominant or sativa dominant because that's not really sexy when it comes to establishing a yeah. packaging vernacular or language. Um, so people now can create, uh, much like, you know, look at candescent, chill, calm, create, connect, charge. Yeah. All, uh, all solution based names that people or consumers can count on as a, is the intended experience versus, um, the lack of knowledge, you know, most of cannabis consumers have when it comes to strain specificity. So make it easy on the consumer to identify, a product based on the needs they have or the experience intended by choosing a packaging language like chill, calm, create, connect, charge, but not that because that's somebody else's. Um, (laughs) You know, like you could do excite. um, You know, I mean, there's all sorts of different words that you can use to, uh, you know, uh, basically train individuals into purchasing your brand product or your branded products versus others because again it's easier to identify the product based on the intended experience strains to many again don't mean anything unless they've heard it from a friend like i only know a few strains that i really really like but if somebody said like hey jared you ever try do you remember remember when we smoked lemon haze the other day i'd be like "Mm, yeah (laughs) how did that make you feel i have don't even remember i don't remember i really don't and many people cataloging their strains, but it's a lot easier to remember a word that a brand used to define the experience on behalf of that particular strain specificity. So where does that leave us, right? It puts us in a position where now we need to focus on developing, again, niche products. So if, for example, and this is what we're doing, you know, we have a brand we're building that is a focus on creatives, right? So uh, rather than having strains for the everyday man and woman, um, we have strains selected for designers, strains selected for developers, strains selected for videographers and photographers. You know, one one strain might help them hold the camera better, stay more focused and stable, right? So we might call that stabilizer, right? Again, just as an example. Yeah. Um, uh, You know, so there's, there's all sorts of different ways that you can associate the intended experience based on the market segment. You have to be creative. Again, dude, I, this is wellness. I, I love that. So that, I love that answer. Um, you know, as much as I enjoy knowing strains and being able to figure them out, actually Leafly is a place where I get a lot of my information. I regretfully agree with you that that's the way it needs to go because even some of us that have been using this for a very long time, we've been familiar with some of these names. I think it'd be a lot easier to discover new products if we're to use the descriptions and, and the brand that you just mentioned that focuses on creatives. I'm really excited to see that happen. So, you know, I, I know I've held you on for a long time and we've got you coming back next week for our panel. So anybody who didn't get enough Jared Mursky today, I know I didn't, we're going to have him on a panel with people a whole lot smarter than me. So we can really dig into his knowledge, but Jared, what can we expect to see from Wick and Mortar this year? What are you excited about and where can we find you? Um, so, well, you can expect uh, a whole lot of growth from Wick and Mortar. We are uh, in the process of 
developing a lot of our own brands, which we intend to launch through existing clients that we have uh, relationships and licenses with, um, both on a national and global level in both THC and CBD. So uh, very excited for that. Um, I just launched my YouTube series. Um, uh, I don't have 100 subscribers yet, so I don't have my own unique URL. I literally launched it about a week ago. Uh, so I'm just now putting the word out. Um, so if you go to YouTube and you search for Jared Mursky, find my YouTube channel. It's just look for the picture of me. There's a lot of them on there. But <laughs> find it. Um, or I can provide him with the link. Uh, and then Evan, uh, put the also, link right here, right here. Yes. Link goes here. <laughs> and then you can also find me on Instagram. If you find me there first, the YouTube link is actually in my bio. So in case you can't find it. Um, and then, of course, I am on LinkedIn. So, not a big Twitter guy, although I should be, but uh, big LinkedIn guy. So, um, and then check us out at wickedmortar.com. A lot of the work we've done. Absolutely. You you might be better off being off Twitter. I think Twitter uh, gets more people fired than it helps. So you might have you might have taken a safe bet there. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but guys. Follow Jared. I follow him on Instagram. I'm going to check out the YouTube definitely on LinkedIn. He puts out a ton of great content and it's not only educational. It is educational. It's also entertaining. He does a lot of really cool skits. Um, I've enjoyed them. Jared, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're going to join us again next week, but I had a blast talking to you. I dude, blew my mind with, with the astrology focused branding and, and thank you again for being part of the show. I want to give a special shout out to a couple people over here. Hold on. Absolutely. We got Mitchell, one of our videographers. And then we got Derek Muller over there. I don't know if you can see him. Creative hey. director at Wick and Mortar. Hustling from the household during all this shit. <laughs> and Very I couldn't. Cool, man. I, love, I love shouting out the team. You guys have a great team there. Um, and hopefully we get to see you when, whenever the hell we have our conference again. I think we moved it to February because of COVID. But you know what? I think you'd be happy to uh, to escape the cold and come down to Florida in February, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, Florida sounds awesome. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I will cool, see you in February. Hopefully, we'll talk before then. Guys, go check out Wick and Mortar. Find Jared on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, find us on YouTube. If you like this interview, go to YouTube. Look for Elevate Your Grind. Give us a subscribe. We don't have 100 followers yet either, so I don't have a custom URL. So let's see if we can beat Jared to it. I have a feeling he'll beat us, but thank you guys again. This has been another episode of Elevate Your Grind. Yep. Tune in tomorrow when we have the Pot Brothers at Law, and we will see you then. Have a good night.